just want to continue this uh, in this uh, session looking at the good gifts that God gives to us that how, that how much more shall your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask those that love him or give good gifts to those that love him and that ask and I want to we began to look uh, in the last session at, at the, the, the most precious and the best gift that God could ever have given us the most perfect and that was Jesus and we're looking at Jesus and what the scripture says about him. We started off last in that last session. I was talking about asking the question, what do you think of Jesus? And we looked at what different people in the scriptures said, just look at some of the scriptures. And I'm hoping that you uh, actually did do some uh, research for yourself. Some of the scriptures I gave you, some of those points that I wasn't able to read the scriptures, that you really are just looking into it and... Uh, that Christ is becoming all the more precious to you. He is God's most precious gift. And so remembering John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave. And the, what he gave and what came with him, Jesus, he gave his one and only, his unique, only begotten son. And uh, we're looking at, at what that means. So I'm going to start off this morning by just reading to you from Second Peter and you could maybe take your Bible and read it with me. Just some verses here in that third verse of, of uh, 2 Peter chapter 1, where Peter says this, speaking of God's divine power, he says, His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness, and this is the key again, through our knowledge of Him, that is Jesus, who called us by His own glory and goodness. Through these... He has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, the impartation of the divine nature of God and escape the corruption of the evil caused by in the world caused by evil desires. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge and to knowledge self-control and to self-control perseverance, and to perseverance godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness love. For if you possess these qualities in ever-increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your, and again the key, your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, leaving out verse 9, I'm going to verse 10. Therefore, my brothers, be all the more eager to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never fail, and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. We could just quickly, if you don't mind, uh, just by way of introduction, if you would just turn with me, please, to Romans chapter 3. And uh, we just read it. I just want to read, I think it's three verses in Romans chapter 3. Uh, picking up in verse 25, where Paul writes this, and he says this in verse 25. God presented, this is the redemption that came through Christ, the previous verse says, the justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. God presented him, Jesus, as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in his blood. He did this to demonstrate his justice, because he, in his forbearance, he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. 
He did it to demonstrate his justice at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. Everything is centered around Jesus. Again, I'm going to ask you why we're in the book of Romans, just to go to the 8th chapter, and we'll read three or four verses there. Romans 8, picking up in verse 32, wonderful portion of the scripture that I love so much. I wish I could read more of it, but I'll just pick up in verse 32. Where he just said, if God's for us, who can be against us? He who, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us, Jesus. He didn't spare Jesus. He gave him up for us. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? All things. And uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 15 says, talks about, Thanks be unto God for his unspeakable gift. Well, all of God's gifts are good. All of God's gifts are perfect, exactly for the right time, as I said in that last session. But the best and the most perfect is Jesus. We looked at yesterday at what people said about him from the scriptures, people who knew him either intimately or had had dealings with him in scripture and today I want to just uh, look at Christology, which is really, in, in practical terms, is the development and presentation of the meaning of Christ as the basis of our faith. Our understanding of Christ, Christology, um, the nature and work of Jesus. It's a fundamental call to faith, a response to Christ. Christology demands response. It incorporates his uniqueness, his nature, his character or personality, his works, pre-incarnation, on earth while he lived here for those 33 and a half years, his ongoing high priestly prayer in heaven, his future involvement, his future position and authority and relationship. It supersedes... Christology, his uniqueness, the uniqueness of Jesus supersedes even the law and the prophets that we read of yesterday, Luke 9, 28 to 36. And uh, you see that in John's gospel as well. Chapter 1, I think it's verse 37. It includes theory. Christology includes theory and systematic presentation, but it also demands a response. So I'm going to ask you to ask yourself, after knowing this, when I, while I, what I preach, while I'm preaching, when I'm finished preaching what I'm saying, truth from the Word of God, can you ever just go on living like you're living right now? Even if you feel you're sold out for Him, I'm trusting that what we God reveals by His Spirit, because I've been praying and praying and praying for God to give us revelation through the teaching of His Word. And so keep asking, can I ever just live like I did before? So what does Scripture teach us about Jesus? In John chapter 21, verses 24 to 25, uh, it, it actually says that were, were all the books, were, they, they if, if all the books written about what Jesus did or who he is, the, there wouldn't be libraries enough to contain them. And, and in Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through to 5, you can read them for yourself. Uh, Luke, uh, Luke says that he wants to tell us about what Jesus began to do to preach, to teach, 
after that he was raised from the dead, before he went into heaven, all about what Jesus did. It's all about Jesus. So my approach this morning is going to be that we look at his names. What are they in the names of Jesus teach us? I don't want it to be boring theology. I want it to be life-giving impartational truth about Jesus. What do his names teach us? You see, in the Bible, names mean a lot. They say a lot about the person, about, about the person's birth, about the person's life, sometimes about the person's, uh, the destiny God has for them or their parents had for them. And, 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 it, it, all the events of their lives generally are wrapped up in that name. And God gave the name Jesus. Remember, uh, it says uh, that he was right in the beginning. It says, you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Now, there he is, the Savior. Jesus is the Messiah, Savior, Yahshua. And then also it says, elsewhere in the scriptures, his name is Jesus Christ, the anointed one. So having a look at that, what then do the names of Jesus, what are the significance and, and, and the meanings of the names of Jesus? And so I'm going to take, when I talk about names, I'm talking about nouns and pronouns related to the life of Jesus. But just quickly, can I say this, just some points regarding his uniqueness, his one and only son, his unique son, the only begotten of the father, who's full of grace and full of truth. First of all, in John chapter 1, verses 1 through to 5, I'm not going to read them all, but it says, In the beginning, before anything, in the beginning was the Word, speaking of Jesus, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. All things were made by Him, and without Him, nothing was made that was made or created. So He pre-existed. Jesus pre-existed before anything and everything that we can see around us. Before all of creation, Jesus was there. He pre-existed. In actual fact, he, he, it, it says in, in Revelation 13, 8, or 18, I think it's verse 8 or 18, it says that Jesus was the Lamb slain before the foundation of the earth. Pre-existed. Now that in itself shows you the uniqueness of Jesus. No one else could claim that. That they pre-existed before creation even came into being. And then it also speaks about the twofold nature of Jesus, that he is the God-man. He is, first of all, born of man and born of God. No one else could ever say that. He is just absolutely unique. No one else has been a God-man. The virgin birth, birthed without, uh, from God and not from man. No one else. He is unique in his virgin birth. He's unique in his sinlessness. Hebrews 4.15 says that of Jesus, he was tempted in all points like as we, yet without sin. 2 Corinthians chapter 3 verse 21 says of him, Jesus who knew no sin. 1 Peter 2.22 says he committed no sins. In 1 Peter 3.5 says in him is no sin. And remember that in 1 John 1 verse 8 it says, if we say that we have not sinned or we're without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. And yet Jesus was able to say sinless. His deity, not only was he 
born of a man, but born of God. And we'll look at that again, I hope, in a few moments. But in John 21, verse 28, Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, it says, He is the exact, the Son is the exact representation of His being. And we looked at the fact that He is God. He's both God and man. And what He did on earth, He did as a man, not as God. Taking our place, his substitutionary death, life and death, crucified and yet risen, first risen from the dead eternally. I, we used to sing an old song years and years and years ago Up from the grave, Jesus rose with a mighty triumph o'er his foes. He arose from a victor from the dark domain and he lives forever with his saints to reign. He arose, he arose. Hallelujah, Christ arose. So he's resurrected. His high priestly ministry is absolutely unique. No one else has it. He ever lives to make intercession for us. Right now, Jesus is praying for us. And that's Hebrews 7.25. Jesus was unique in that he is omnipotent. And he's omniscient and he's omnipresent. And that He's unique in that the Holy Spirit only glorifies Jesus. No man, nothing else on earth does the Holy Spirit glorify. Jesus is unique in that the Holy Spirit in every aspect of his ministry glorifies Jesus and Jesus alone. And so Jesus is the God-man. He's the Son of God, truly God and truly man. In his divinity, you can read of that in Luke chapter 1, verses 32 and 35, John 1, 34, Matthew 4, verses, uh, verse 3, chapter, and then again 27, chapter 27, verse 40. He's the Son of God, and yet he's the Son of Man. So he's not only deity, but he's human. Mark chapter 10, verse 45 says, For the Son of Man, Jesus himself speaking of himself, the Son of Man did not come, to, to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Mark chapter 2 verse 28 says, The Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Again in Mark chapter 14, 26, he says, The Son of Man is seated at the right hand of the Mighty One. In Luke chapter 1, when you pick up in verse 26 to 35, it says when, uh, the angel is speaking to, to Mary that God himself will come upon her and that which is produced as a result of her as a woman and God impregnating her, he will be that holy one, unique, born of a virgin, from the loins of God, lived on earth in our place, on our behalf, unique met all the requirements of the law on our behalf, paid the full price for us. The last Adam, as 1 Corinthians 15, 45 says, is a life-giving life spirit. Uh, the first Adam blew it for us. The last Adam restored it all for us. He's also called the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords in Revelation 17, 14, Revelation 19, 16. 1 Timothy 6 verse 15, he's the Lord Jesus Christ, he's Lord, he's the Lord Jesus. All these names were given to him. 
He's our present reigning king. The book of Revelation tells us in Revelation 12 that they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. He is our conquering, on the throne, victorious king who gives us the victory, demands it, in control of everything. In all of this, Jesus is absolutely unique. There's no one else who can say I'm in control of everything. That I uphold it all by the word of my power. But he's also the Prince of Peace, as Isaiah 9, 6 tells us. He made peace for us on our behalf. I love Romans chapter 5, verse 1. It says, peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. You can see that also in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 15. Not only did he make peace on our behalf, but he gave us peace. Philippians 4, from verse 7 says, And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard or garrison your heart and mind. The peace of God, he gives us that through Jesus Christ our Lord. But not only does he, did he make peace for us on our behalf, not only did he give us peace, but he is our peace. Ephesians 2.14 says, Jesus is our peace. 2 Thessalonians 3.6 says, The Lord of peace give you peace. Now you see, no one else could do that. No one else can give us that kind of peace, make peace for us, and become our peace. Jesus is unique. And then he's the lion of the tribe of Judah, as Revelation 5.5 says. Our all-conquering Revelation 12, as I quoted earlier, 10 to and 11, all-conquering king who gives us the victory. He's the savior of the world. John chapter 4, verse 42 says, uh, remember when the, the woman uh, in Samaria actually tells the villagers to come to and listen to Jesus? Eventually they say to him, this is that this man really is the savior of the world. Ephesians 5, 23 says, Christ is also the Savior of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Matthew 1.21, which I quoted earlier, he shall save his people from their sins. Jesus is the Savior. I want to just stop for a moment and say, how often do you reflect on that? Jesus is the Savior. He had to die in order for us to be forgiven. There was no other way. That without his death, and his resurrection, we would all genuinely go to a Christless eternity. Sometimes I have to catch myself and say, do I still honestly believe that for my family if they're not saved, for my friends, for my neighbors, for my town, for my city, for my country? Every person who doesn't know Christ is going to hell. Christless eternity. Two horrible to even contemplate what that really is. Jesus had to die. Do we still really honestly believe that and see the significance of what that means? On a daily basis, I try to remind myself before God in prayer, thank you, Lord, for saving me. I've been saved now for 50-something years, and we never need to, we've got to ask God to help us never to lose that truth, excitement, the reality of it all. One of the wonderful things about that word Savior, he's a Savior of the world, is it's not only the initial salvation, but he keeps on delivering us. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And that brings with it deliverance ongoingly 
right until Christ comes back. He's also the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. John chapter 1, verse 29, and then verse 36. Revelation 13, actually 8, I quoted earlier. He's the Lamb slain before the creation of the world. He's Emmanuel. These are his names. And they all carry significance. Emmanuel, God with us, Matthew 1, 28. Do you live like that? Like God is with me. Wherever I go, whatever I say, however I look at things, whatever I think, however I act, God is with me. He's right here inside of me and alongside of me. I wonder sometimes, do we really honestly believe he is Emmanuel, God with us? Would we do, say, think, react the way we do? If we honestly kept on believing that, I'm asking God to help us. I ask him to help me to live like I honestly believe that he's actually inside of me. Remember Colossians 1.27 says, Christ in me, my only hope of glory. Galatians 2.20, Paul says, I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live not yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God, etc. Then we have him as our advocate with the Father. 1 John 2, 21. It says, These things are right unto you that you sin not. But if any man does sin, we have an advocate with the Father. Jesus, our lawyers, pleading on our behalf. All these things are God's precious gift wrapped up in Jesus. And we're seeking to unpack this, this today in this session and possibly in another session. I don't know how this will go. But these are some of the things that I, we always need to remember. He ever lives to make intercession for us as our mediator, as our advocate with the Father. He never stops praying for us. And that guarantees answers to the prayers of Jesus. In John 15, 14, he's also our friend. He says, I no longer call you servants but friends because i want to actually tell you make known to you all that, that I, i'm thinking i have the plans i have for you etc as i said earlier on he's our intercessor hebrews seven twenty five. he's the bread of life he said that i am the bread of life john six thirty five. what does that mean now because of time and i look up i've done 20 nearly 23 minutes here i have to just read some of these things and hope you will go and look at the scriptures for yourself. If you really mean business, I've got to keep saying this. If you really mean business with God, if you really want your life changed and you want to be able to praise and pray and prepare and preach and pastor, whatever the case may be, like God wants you to, you've got to, it's through our knowledge of him that all these things that God has made available to have given us all that we need for life and God. It's through our knowledge of Him. We need to let God, by the Spirit of God, bring revelation, increasing our knowledge and understanding of who He is and what He is in us, with us, through us. He's the bread of life. He's the living water. John seven thirty-seven to 39. I wish I could talk about that. He's the living water. Not only a well, but a river flowing. Out of our innermost being shall flow rivers of living water. He is the vine. John 15, verse 1 and verse 5. I'm the true vine. 
One of the things about the vine is we've got to keep in with him, attached to him, connected to him. But a thing about the vine too is you know that the vine produces fruit and that fruit is a grape. And grapes eventually become wine. And wine is a type of the Holy Spirit. Can you see what I'm trying to say there? He's the, the good shepherd. John chapter 10. Verse, I think it's verse 11 and Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not lack. And all that he does is the good shepherd, caring for us, looking after us. And just remember this as the good shepherd. He's, uh, Psalm 23 says, his rod and his staff, they comfort us. The rod has to do with his disciplines. The staff has to do with his comfort. We lean on him. His, his support at every level. He is the way, the truth and the life. There is no other way. As he said in John chapter 14, verse 6, he's the way. There's no other way. There's no other name given under heaven whereby we must be saved. He's the truth. The law came by Moses, but grace and truth came by Christ. He was full of grace and truth. And he is the life. He came to give us. He said, the thief has come to steal, to kill and to destroy. But I've come that you might have life more abundantly. He is life. He that has the son has life. He that has not the son. You see, Eternal life is not an entity that God gives to people independent of Jesus. If you don't have Christ at the center of your life, living and breathing and working through you, you don't have eternal life. It's Jesus. He's a teacher. John chapter 1 verse 38. John chapter 13 verse 5. Well, I'm going to stop there because I've taken 26 minutes and I'm going to come back. And carry on with some of the other things that are the truths about Jesus. And maybe we can get some time to read the scriptures. But before I pray, would you remember, please, that Paul encouraged Timothy, actually, in a sense, commanded him to devote himself to the public reading of scripture, to preaching, to teaching, that order. Give scripture more preference, more time. In your messages, your message preparation, even in your prayer life and your praise life, let the scriptures become predominant because they're about Jesus, the word that became flesh. So, Father, please, you've heard me praying before this, before preaching. I'm asking you again now for your blessing on your people and the church to be a true and better reflection of Jesus in his name by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you.